Calvary Chapel. We, um, we're here uh, once again, uh, live on uh, our phones. And um, though it's, uh, it's a difficult time, it, it's also a time that uh, as a church that we can actually take advantage really of a lot of opportunity, maybe that we're not able to normally do. And I, I wanna remind you that we have a number of studies uh, that we have going on uh, throughout the week, our normal midweek service that we have. We're, we're doing that on Zoom, but we have a Tuesday morning men's Bible study that you can uh, plug into uh, at six o'clock on Tuesday mornings. And we have a Friday evening uh, time that we're getting together for prayer. And looking at the word this actually this last Friday here, we looked at Psalm 118 and uh, the song that we started out the worship song this morning, uh, God is so good. And uh, my prayer is that uh, we could all easily say that this morning, that God is so good. He's so good to me. Psalm 118 verse one says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. And a great verse just to remind us how good our God is, uh, even, even in the, the most difficult times in life. Our, uh, our study this morning is gonna be back in the Gospel of Mark. We're gonna be in chapter eight this morning, covering verses 11 to 21. I gave it a long title, but it, uh, it works with this study. I titled this morning's message, How Is It That You Do Not Understand? And so let's, uh, let's lift this, uh, this time up in prayer this morning. Father, we come before you. We lift up, Lord, this time in your word. Lord, we realize every time we open the word of God, Lord, it's full of truth. It's, it's everything that we need for life and godliness. It helps us to get to know you in a deeper way, to know Jesus through the word of God. And Lord, I pray that this morning, as we look into uh, this chapter, Lord, that you would speak once again your truth into our hearts, that we would be challenged Lord, in our hearts, that, that we would step forward in our walks with you. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, last week, I shared about the miracle of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And in that miracle, we saw something about the very nature and character of Jesus. We saw that he had compassion towards the multitudes. And this was a, a, a different multitude that he was ministering to on this particular occasion. This was a multitude of Gentiles. This great multitude had been following Jesus for three days. And they were hungry and, and were told that they were far from home. Some of them had traveled some distance to see Jesus. We saw in this encounter that 
that Jesus showed great compassion for even the small things in life. You see, quite often we think that God's only concerned with the big things and, and the big details of life, but he's often and is concerned with the small things in your life, in my life. We read in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 2, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Jesus teaching his disciples again another lesson in faith. This wasn't going to be the, the first, nor would it be the last. And that's the way it is for us, isn't it, as Christians? We're always learning, or at least we should be learning, these lessons in faith. This was going to be a, a needed lesson. They were going to relearn a lesson in faith from this one. Remember, Jesus had already fed the 5,000, and they were there, and they took part in that. And here they are on another occasion in a different setting, and Jesus is going to feed now the 4,000. But we see that the disciples still lacked in faith. They still came up short. When it came to the occasion that Jesus put before them of feeding this multitude of people, how often do we come up short as Christians on faith? When our faith is tested. And then the Lord turns around and he sends us down the same path again. We, we might call it the path of faith. Where we find ourselves going down the same road again. Because the Lord is gracious. He's merciful towards us. And he wants to teach us these lessons. And he'll even take us down that same path again and again. Until we learn it, like we do with our own kids whom we love, we take them down that same path of training. But here's a verse that you quite often hear me share and one I want to remind you of this morning in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That should bring some real encouragement to our hearts that what God starts, God's not going to be done with until the day that we stand in front of him. We have a very gracious and merciful God towards us. Also, on this occasion of feeding the 4,000, Jesus asked the disciples on that day to give food to the people. He asked the disciples to give their food to the people. He, he said to them, he says, how many loaves do you have? Speaking of the loaves that they possessed. And I, I have to think, you know, there are times that God asks us to give up things that we say are mine. Things that we call are mine and we 
quite often don't want to give up maybe what God is calling us to give up. God says, all that you have are mine. And when I call you to give it up, then we need to freely give it up. Have you ever felt like that? Like you wanted to hang on to something that you felt was yours, but God was saying, I want you to give it up. And then just like the feeding of the 5,000 back in chapter six, Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to set the food before the people. I want you to go out and serve the people. I want you to even serve this multitude of Gentiles. I think that might've even been an uncomfortable setting for the disciples as Jesus asked them to go out and to set the food before this multitude of Gentiles. We keep seeing as we're walking with Jesus in these situations that Jesus always had a bigger picture in mind. He always had a greater work that he was wanting to do. And the disciples, they often missed it. Like we often miss it. Like we don't quite understand at times what God might be doing. Jesus, we know this, he never performed a miracle he never tried to go out and do a miracle just for a miracle's sake. It was always to demonstrate something about his very nature, his power, his authority. And, and that's what his disciples were learning as they walked with Jesus. They were learning from his example. They were learning and, and taking steps of faith as they walked with Jesus. As he put them to the test, Jesus was revealing even to them in all of these miracles and on all of these settings, he was revealing his very nature to his disciples. Jesus also knew the day was coming that he was going to send out his disciples. They were now going to become apostles, ones who were sent out on a mission. And Jesus, in all of this time, these three years of him walking this earth, three and a half years, and this time with his disciples, these were the times of preparation. He was preparing them to go out and even to do greater things, greater works. As we continue in our walk with Jesus, as we're going through this gospel of Mark, we also should be learning. We should be learning from what we're reading and following the footsteps of Jesus. We need to be asking God to open our understanding, to give us eyes to see the bigger picture, that he would give us his vision and his wisdom. But let me ask you a question. What has God been saying to you in these eight chapters of Mark that we've gone through already. What lessons have you been learning? You know, uh, how have you been growing as we look at the word of God each week? Are you growing in faith 
is you see even how the, the disciples maybe failed at times and how you're able to see in yourself your own failures. And are you asking God to grow your faith? Are you being challenged? Are you accepting the corrections that you see in God's word? You see, God's word is not just for those people that we're reading about. God's word is written so that we would read it ourselves, that we would draw from it ourselves, that we would learn the same lessons. Why? Because we're really the same kind of people, and the Lord knows that. We finished last week in verse 9 and 10, if you want to look at your Bible, it says, now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and Jesus sent them away, and immediately, there's that word again that we see often in Mark's gospel, immediately they got into the boat with his disciples, and they came to the region of Del Manutha, just like we might jump in a car or jump on an airplane and, and get to our destination. The vehicle that they chose, that they had really, was either the boat or walking. We're kind of blessed, aren't we, with the way that we can get around. They jumped into the boat and they began now to sail across the Sea of Galilee and they made their way to this city of Dalmanutha. This was on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It was a small little town. It was actually close to the town of Magdala, the place where Mary Magdalene had met Jesus. In verse 11, we read that Jesus on this day with the disciples, they got into the boat and they came to the other side and when they arrived into this small city, there they were. There were these Pharisees once again. Look at verse 11. Then the Pharisees, they came out and began to dispute. They began to dispute with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit, we're told, and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. As soon as Jesus arrives, we're told that they came out. I get this picture in my mind of like a bunch of termites coming out of a piece of wood. These Pharisees coming out of the woods, so to speak, coming out to confront Jesus there once again, looking for a way that they might test him, that they, that they might really discredit him is what they were wanting to do. They were looking for an opportunity to trap Jesus. But this time was different. They came to Jesus looking for this sign from heaven. You see, they weren't satisfied uh, with Jesus just healing a person. They weren't satisfied with, with Jesus just casting out a, a demon from a person. 
those miracles in their minds were insufficient. What they wanted to see is they wanted to be, a, they wanted to see a sign from heaven. They wanted to see something that was miraculous, something that was beyond the ability for somebody to comprehend. But Jesus knew who he was speaking with. He knew that these were not sincere truth seekers. They were really insincere, unbelieving seekers. They wanted to trap him. They wanted a sign from heaven. You see, for the Jew, a sign was a mark. It was a token by which a person or a thing could be distinguished from another person. It's something that made someone known to be able to, to perform a sign for them. They wanted to, Jesus to prove his messiahship. In the mindset of the Jew in this day, uh, they understood that when Messiah came, that he would show great signs in the heavens. He would do the spectacular, is what they in their minds, they, they wanted to see Jesus astonish the people. You know, like parting the Jordan River, making the waters stand up on the right and the left. You know, uh, like Moses did. They wanted to see that kind of a miracle. They wanted to maybe see the walls fall down around Jerusalem. You know, like the walls that fell down around Jericho. They wanted to, to be, uh, see the laws of nature even defied. Maybe like Elijah calling down fire from heaven. This was the spectacular the sign that they were asking Jesus to perform. The Greek word for sign can also be translated in our English Bibles, miracles or wonders. And we know that Jesus did many signs, miracles, and wonders throughout the Gospels. We read that. It was a sign of his divine authority as he healed people, as he raised people from the dead. He showed his authority, even his ability to forgive sin. That's something only, that only God could do. It was Jesus who was proving himself from miracle to miracle, showing his nature, really, to this whole world of who he was. But I want you to think for a moment that if you and if God had given you even this, this power like Jesus had, this power and this authority to produce a miraculous miracle in the sight of people, if somebody came to you and was questioning your authority and your ability to perform a miracle like that, and we knew that Jesus had all power and authority to perform any miracle, any sign, no matter how miraculous it may have been. But he didn't cater to the hearts of unbelief, to the generation that should have known. He didn't cater to them. But I probably, if I was in that place, I would have been thinking, let me show you something. I, I might have thought, you know what, hey, I'll prove it. Let me, let me bring down 
some great sign from heaven. Let me produce something that'll blow your minds. You see, but Jesus didn't do that on those occasions. He knew the hearts of men. He knew their hearts of unbelief. He knew these Pharisees. He knew the scribes. He knew their thinking. And he wasn't going to bow down to their unbelief. Just an interesting side note. During the tribulation period, we know that the Antichrist, we know that the false prophet who are going to be on the scene during this tribulation period, we know that they're going to come forth with great signs and wonders in the heavens. And we know that Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 24 that the false prophet and Antichrist, they're going to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. And I believe he's speaking about the nation of Israel, the Jews, during the tribulation period. Also in Luke 21, 11, we read that before Jesus returns at his second coming, we read that there's going to be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence. And there's going to be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. You see, this is what those Pharisees were looking for. They were looking for Jesus to perform something that would prove who he was claiming to be. In these uh, gospel accounts that we have, the four gospels, there's actually 37 recorded miracles of Jesus. But we know that that's not all that Jesus did. For we read in John's gospel in chapter 21, verse 25, that there were many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus did a lot. He performed many miracles that we don't even see recorded in Scripture. But as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, out of the 37 miracles that are recorded in the Gospels, we've already covered 16 miracles of Jesus just to chapter 8. Remember in chapter 1 when Jesus drove out the evil spirit. From the man in Capernaum. He also then went from there and he went to Peter's mother-in-law who was sick with fever and he healed her also in chapter one. Jesus healed many sick that evening that were oppressed. And we also read in chapter one that Jesus cleansed a man from leprosy. Jesus healed a paralytic who was let down through the roof to Jesus at his feet. He healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. He got into a boat and he calmed the sea that time when the, G when the disciples thought they were all going to perish. He cast out demons and had them enter into a herd of pigs in chapter 5. Jesus healed the woman in the crowd with the issue of blood. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter back to life also in chapter 5. Jesus fed the 5,000 
including the women and the children, this huge multitude in chapter 6. Jesus walked on water also in that chapter. He healed uh, the many that were sick in Gennesaret as they touched the very hem of his garment. And Jesus healed a, a Gentile woman's demon-possessed daughter in chapter 7. He healed a deaf and a dumb man also in chapter 7. And then we read last week about the feeding of the 4,000. That's just in the eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark. I think that's enough. I mean, look what Jesus just proved of himself and who he was. But you see, the sad part of why these Pharisees were unable to believe is because they had hearts of unbelief. That was their problem. They were set on unbelief. They chose to remain in unbelief. The blinders over their heart, the blinders over their eyes and ears were there because they were set on unbelief. You see, that's the problem that people even have today. If we choose to disbelieve, if we refuse to look at the facts, to look at the facts about Christ, to look at the facts about Jesus, and we remain in that place of unbelief, then it doesn't matter what God would do. It doesn't matter what Jesus would perform, what miracle he would do. They still will not believe. They'll attribute it to the works of Satan. They'll say that he's done this by some other means. He's just tricking the people. And you see that people come up with all of those things even to this day. They want to refute what Jesus has done and what he's declared to this world. In Luke 16.31, we read the story of the rich man and the beggar. And we're told that even if someone were to rise from the dead, they still won't believe. Isn't that incredible? If they were to even to come back from the grave, they still won't believe. Why? Because their hearts are set on unbelief. But these Pharisees were becoming more and more threatened by the many signs and miracles that Jesus was doing. All of them were proving his power and his authority to heal and to forgive sins. And they knew that that was something that only God could do. Also, the multitudes that were following Jesus, they were growing larger. His fame was spreading throughout the whole region of Galilee. His popularity. And these scribes and these Pharisees, they were becoming more and more desperate to try and destroy Jesus. These Pharisees were probably still angry from what took place back in chapter 7, where Jesus condemned the scribes and the Pharisees for their man-made commandments and the traditions of men that they held to, that 
that they were passing on to the people and putting these heavy weights upon the people. Jesus condemned them for that. We also know as time drew closer to the cross that these religious leaders were getting more and more agitated, more and more determined that they were going to stop Jesus, that they were going to discredit him and even destroy him. And so when Jesus arrived with his disciples in this city, they wasted no time. They got right to it. They came right out to test him, to discredit him in front of the people that were there and in front of his own disciples. But, but what they were asking for this time was not just another miracle. They wanted a sign from heaven. But notice what Jesus does. Once again, knowing the hearts and the motives of these religious leaders. Look at verse 12. We're told that, first off, that he sighs deeply in his spirit. Can you see Jesus just doing that? Just having this sigh upon him as he sighs in his spirit. And he says to these Pharisees, why does this generation seek a sign? I think that Jesus sighing deeply was because this group, these religious leaders, this generation the, of Israel that was uh, living at the time that Jesus was walking this earth, they were the generation that should know. They were the people that were eyewitnesses, many of them eyewitnesses of what Jesus was doing and the miracles that he did. And I think that his sign was for the purpose of these religious leaders. They're not, they don't get it. They don't see it. Jesus, in a sense, was pointing them out. He says, why do you? Why does this generation seek a sign? Of all the generations, this generation should see it. You should know the many signs that you have seen, yet you still don't believe. You see, there's many proofs that this world receives from the Word of God, from the changed lives of Christians, from seeing how God works through the church. There's many proofs, many evidences. But if a person chooses not to believe, they remain in unbelief. Jesus is saying to them, to these Jews, to these religious leaders, assuredly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Jesus had already given all the signs that they needed. They'd already seen some of the miracles that I just read you right now up until this eighth chapter. They'd already seen them. And Jesus was under no obligation to give them more. He chose not to. That uh, This generation will not receive another sign. What I've given you is enough. Everything that you see around you, 
declares who I am and what I've done. And you stand accountable. In a sense, is what he was saying to him, and you stand accountable with the signs that have already been given, with the miracles that have already been done. You stand accountable. Just like people today that see their loved ones, their friends, people they know that have had a changed life. There's something different about them. They know they're a Christian. They know, but they choose not to believe, but they still stand accountable before God. You know, like those people that go out and they look at the creation that's all around them, yet they won't believe. The heavens declare there's a God that created the heavens and the earth, that there's a designer that created this all, yet they won't believe. Just creation itself declares, Paul spoke of that in the book of Romans, but they suppress the truth, we're told, in unrighteousness. The, the things that are seen, even God's eternal power in Godhead, Paul says they're without excuse. Man stands without excuse today. It just that creation itself declares that there's a God. Jesus then does the same thing that he did back in chapter 7. When he Remember when he left the Pharisees and he went up to Tyre and Sidon, up to a Gentile region, and he took his disciples with him? Jesus just simply, in a sense, left them there standing. He left them. He went away from them. He left them in their unbelief. And you see, God has given us a will. Each one of us has a will. We have a, a, we're in a position that we either choose or we reject. And if we continue to reject, if we continue to refuse the love of God, the call that God has put out to us to come to him, if we refuse to do that, God will allow you to remain in your unbelief. We now see this encounter with the, the Pharisees where Jesus now is going to warn his disciples about what they just experienced with these Pharisees there in that city. Look at verse 13. Jesus left them, speaking about the Pharisees, and getting into a boat again and departing to the other side. Jesus, once again, getting back into the boat with his disciples. And I, I can't help but think that these disciples are thinking every time they get into this boat, where are we going now? What do we have ahead of us now? Well, you know, I often think, what would it be like to walk, literally be walking with Jesus like these disciples did? What that would have looked like. What, that, what they experience, here they are getting back into the boat to depart to the other side. 
verse 14. Now the disciples had gotten, had forgotten, excuse me, to take bread. And they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. You see, that's a problem for somebody or a group of people if they don't have Jesus with them. But when Jesus is with us, there is no problem. You see, one loaf of bread is not an issue with Jesus. Jesus took those loaves of bread and he multiplied it and he fed 5,000, 4,000. You see, the disciples should have felt completely secure, completely provided for, because Jesus was with them in the boat. Is Jesus with you in your times of need? And how many times has he proven to you that he's going to take care of your needs? Here's the disciples forgetting to take bread with them. Doesn't tell us which one forgot. They had bread. Remember, they had leftovers from the, the feeding of the 4,000. The large baskets of bread that were just the leftovers. They had that. And here they are jumping into the boat with one loaf of bread for them all. Something went wrong. And Jesus knew what was stirring in their heart. He knew what they were thinking as they were concerned over having only one loaf of bread. Hey, guys, this is not going to sustain us for the day. I mean, come on. Whoever that was that forgot that bread, I mean, I wonder if this was a little bit of an argument. You, you forgot the bread. We got one loaf to cover us for the day? I mean, Jesus is hearing this. He's knowing what's going on in their hearts. And then look at verse 15. Then he charged them, saying, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He hears them having this dispute, this discussion, this worry, this concern about having only one loaf of bread. And then he brings in something that was even of greater importance. Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The first thing that I want to say is that there's not a lot of times that you see Jesus say, take heed or beware, and to say that together like that. But for Jesus to say that to them, that means that the, what he just said was of great importance. It was going to be a significant warning. It was a warning to them, and it's a warning to us today. Take heed and beware. He warned them about leaven, something the disciples were very familiar with in the making of bread. That yeast that was put into the bread, that would permeate the bread. 
it was something that they were very familiar with. He's, he's warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. He's talking about, to them, he's talking about the symbol of evil, leaven. He's talking to them about the, the picture of false doctrines that these Pharisees were bringing to the people. He's talking about the, uh, uh, the leaven of hypocrisy that these Pharisees were displaying before the people. The false teachings that were, this was all leaven that Jesus was warning them about. Leaven is likened to sin in the church in the Bible and how it can start out something very small and begin to permeate the whole church. Leaven is something that will eventually permeate and bring about destruction and bring about false teaching and, and, and hurt and harm. And Jesus is warning his disciples after this encounter with the Pharisees, beware, take heed of the leaven of the Pharisees. So what does he mean by the leaven of Herod? He also says, and beware of the leaven of Herod. Well, Herod had his own following. He had the Herodians. He had the Jews that were following after these, we might say, these were Jews that were of the political nature. They looked at Herod and his kingdom as being the kingdom here on earth that God could use, that God could use Herod and his rule and he could usher in through his kingdom, the promised kingdom that they were waiting for. Jesus even knowing what was coming and what was gonna come upon his own disciples, even looking ahead, that they would not get caught up into the false teaching, the leaven of Herod, and those that were had been distracted and those that had been following after this, this false ideology about Herod and him even being a god in a sense and following after this false teaching of Herod. He called it the leaven of Herod. The disciples were, you would think, the disciples might have got that when Jesus brought it out that way. The leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. <clears throat> but we read on. Look at your Bibles at verse 16. They didn't get it. Once again, like you and I, quite often, they didn't get it. Look at verse 16. They reasoned among themselves, saying, is it because we have no bread? Did Jesus just warn us and say this to us because we don't have enough bread? I mean, they were missing the whole point. They didn't even get it. We might say that the disciples were clueless in the moment. Jesus is warning them about the dangers of the Pharisees' doctrines 
and the Herodians and, and they're following after Herod and, and, and his kingdom. And the disciples are thinking <clears throat> that Jesus is talking about physical bread. We, Jesus went on and he says to them, knowing what was going on inside of them. And I'm not sure if he was sighing or if he had a smile on his face. But look what he says in verse 17. But Jesus, being aware of it, he said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? <clears throat> And then after that, he begins to, excuse me. Then after that, he begins to give them eight other searching questions. These searching questions might, might be ones that we might heed, that we might take to heart ourselves even this morning. Look what he says. Do you not perceive or understand? He asked the disciples. How many times do we not perceive and not understand the things that God is wanting to get through to us? He's wanting to teach us something. And yet we have to learn it again. We have to go down the same path again. And here we go again. Do you not yet perceive and understand? And then look what he says. Is your heart still hardened? You see, Jesus likens a dull perception or a lack of understanding to spiritual things. He likens it to a hard heart. You see, being in the spirit and being in the flesh is a fine line. We can one moment <clears throat> have all this spiritual insight and seem like we have a, a handle on it all. And then in the next moment, we're doubting. We're not getting it. We're not understanding. After Jesus had fed the 5,000, <clears throat> He told the disciples, he says, go get into the boat. And we're told that a, a storm arose on that day. And after they had been straining all night, rowing in that boat, and the wind was beating them up, Jesus comes walking across the water. And he says to them, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. And then we read in chapter 6, verse 52, about this occasion. It says, for they had not understood about the lows because their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand even what was taking place as Jesus came walking across the water and, and said, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. I told you to go get into the boat and to go to the other side. You were going to make it. You, but, but, you, but even that 
you are questioning. He says, for, for they had not understood. Even on that occasion, the feeding of the 5,000, you had not understood about the loaves. You witnessed as you saw it. 10 to 15,000 people, I multiplied the bread. And the people were full. And there were leftovers. But you didn't understand because your hearts were hardened. In the moment, they were again tested and they came up short. You see, that's what happens to us when God allows the testings to come our way. And we're hoping that we're going to come through it victorious. We are, we're hoping that we're going to come through many life trials and circumstances with great faith. We're not going to waver. We're going to trust in our God thick and thin. And quite often when we really are put to that test, we really see our faith that it, it came up short. I began to freak out. I began to question. I've been to wonder why has God not answered this prayer yet? Why am I still waiting? Is he even hearing me? God, would you help our hearts of unbelief? Surely, God's hand is upon us. Can you say that? Surely, God's hand is upon us. Even during this, this pandemic, surely. God's hand is upon us. He's with us. He's walking through this right with us. Why are you so fearful? Why is there great concerns upon your heart? I'm with you. I've never left you. I'll be with you right through this. Don't put your trust in the scientists. Don't put it in all the, the men out there that are speaking on the news and doing all that. Put your trust in God. Trust him. He goes on in verse 18 with, a, with another question. Having eyes. He says, do you not see? He's saying this to his disciples. He's saying it to you and I this morning. Having eyes. Do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? How many times have, have you heard that whispered into your, your own minds and your own hearts from the Lord? And then he also says, and, and do you not remember? You know, remembering is a, is a, is a big thing. To remember what God has done. To not forget what God has done. Do you not remember? We, we, we fed the 5,000. Do you remember that? We fed the 4,000. Do you remember that? It was, it was just weeks apart. Do you remember? Why are you so quick to forget? Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? 
he asked them that question, why? He wanted them to remember. And here they are concerned that they only have one loaf of bread with them in the boat. After two miraculous miracles like that, and he has to bring back to their remembrance about the large full baskets of fragments just to, just to get their mind remembering. And they said seven or 12. They said then 12. And also when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. He's reminding them again of those two occasions. So he said to them, verse 21, it's the title for our message for today. How is it that you do not understand? How is it after you've been walking with me, as long as you've been walking with me as a Christian, how is it that you don't understand? How is it that you could forget? How is it that you are not able to perceive or understand what's happening in your life right now? With all the trials and difficulties that are coming your way, how is it? that you can't understand and you can't perceive. Jesus says it's a condition of a hard heart. It's a heart that needs to be softened. It's a, it's a heart that just needs to say, God, with you, there's nothing that's impossible. I'm going to stand upon what I do know, not upon what I don't know. I'm going to believe you at your very word. I'm going to stand upon the things that you have proven to me in the past. Those are the things that I know. I was thinking of what I would want to pray in closing out this kind of a message. I, I, I think that I thought, you know, here's a prayer that I'm going to write out. It's some thoughts that I want you to think about. It's my prayer, but it will be your prayer if you take it to heart, if you acknowledge it before the Lord, even now, as we close this off in prayer. God, would you open my eyes to see your marvelous works? that I might not miss what you're doing. That could be our prayer. God, would you give me ears to hear spiritual things that I might not miss your voice? God, would you forgive me for not remembering how you have proved yourself to me in the past that I might remember your glorious works for the future. God, would you help me to learn my lessons of experience? 
Would you forgive me for approaching you with pessimism and hopelessness at those times? I want to ask, how many times have I been full of sorrow in my own heart? How many times have I lost hope? And then you brought joy and you brought peace to my heart, God. How many times? How many times have I tempted and been tempted, and you kept me from falling. How many times have I been tempted by the things of this world, and you kept me from falling? How many times have I become sick physically, and you healed me and I recovered? I'm still here today. How many times? How many life situations have seemed impossible to solve and you fixed it? How many times have I been at my wit's end at the breaking point and I did not break? You see, all of these things that come our way in life, God's growing us. God's teaching us. He's wanting to do something great in us. And he loves you so much and cares about your, your life so deeply that he'll allow these things to come your way so that you might grow in your dependency upon him that our hearts would become softer towards these truths that we know to be true, but so often our heart becomes hardened. And we're, we're, we're not able to see, we're not able to understand, we're not able to hear, we're not able to, to perceive what God is doing in the midst of all this. And all the while he's still working, he's still being faithful, he's still doing what he does. Those are the lessons that these disciples were learning. It's the lessons that we are learning today as we follow Jesus Christ. God, we acknowledge your greatness. We acknowledge your wisdom. We acknowledge your provisions. Your strong hand. Your protection over our lives your love, your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That was my prayer as I wrote it out. And it should be all of our prayer. Maybe you're listening in on this message this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. You've lived your life in unbelief. You've been a skeptic. You've questioned God for many years. You've seen the changed lives of people around you, and you've put it off. You've suppressed the truth. You've pushed it away. 
And all the while, God continues to call you. He continues to, to draw you, to open your blinded eyes that you can see and hear the truth. If you're listening in on this, it's a divine appointment. God is allowing you to listen to this message today because it's a divine appointment by him. It's another time that you're hearing something of God's love and care for you that he wants to save you. We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from sin. Saved from death. Saved from the grave. God will give you eternal life. If you'll just admit that you're a sinner, that's in need of a savior and you call out to God and repent of your sin and ask God to cleanse you and to forgive you. He will, he'll forgive. He'll cleanse you. He'll make you whole. He'll give you assurance in your heart that you have eternal life. If Jesus were to come back today and you know, Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, you have that confidence that assurance that you're going to be with him. God's not willing that any should perish. That's anyone. God's not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's the heart of our God. If you end up standing before God someday, in unbelief, without salvation. If that happens to you, it's not going to be because God did not extend this invitation of receiving him into your life. It's going to be because you have rejected the offer of forgiveness and salvation from the only one who can give it. Jesus Christ. And so if you're hearing this and you want to receive Jesus Christ in your heart, the Bible says to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You simply need to ask God to cleanse you, to forgive you, and you need to invite him by invitation. You need to receive him into your heart by prayer, ask him to come in to forgive you. And based upon the word of God, I will tell you that he'll give you eternal life. That's my prayer for anyone that has come to this divine appointment, so to speak, this morning. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you for Calvary Chapel Fellowship and the work that you're doing in our church. I pray that you would continue that good work in our hearts, Lord, that we might be instruments and tools that can be used of you in reaching this world for Christ. That we would redeem the days that we're living in, Lord, for their truly evil days. And Lord, though this world is coming down around us, Lord, you're still seated on your throne high and lifted up. 
And Lord, you're still in control of all things. And Lord, you hold us in your hands. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon us for this week. Fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, with your power. Let us be bold for Jesus in whatever way you give us opportunity to, to do that. That you might use us, Lord, in these final days. That we would be ready in season and out of season. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Kyle's going to close us off in a, in a song right now. And God bless you and have a, a wonderful week. Tune in to the studies that are uh, on the schedule. You get sent out, just tune in, go to the website, look at the schedule. You can just click on the link and you can tune in. I encourage you to do that. God bless you.